You're listening to Health Call Live, the area's only live local interactive radio hour devoted to you and your health. Watch the video live stream on the Health Call Facebook page and call us with your questions at 447-1190 or toll free at 800-333-1190. Here's your host, health and wellness correspondent, Lee Kelso. Well, good morning again. Great to be back with you. So glad that you're here spending a little time with us each Saturday morning. We're going to kick things off today with a closer look at a study that I found just published that shows that drug-resistant bacterial infections are a problem that are sneaking up on all of us all around the world, and it's something to be aware of. The study says that these infections, where bacteria have kind of learned how to sort of laugh off the ordinary antibiotic we usually take, they're associated with about 5 million deaths around the world in 2019 and were the direct cause of death for 1.3 million people, bigger numbers than had ever been recorded before. Now, of course, this is going to be a more serious problem in poor countries, but even here in the United States, the Centers for Disease Control says that each year, 2.8 million antibiotic-resistant infections occur in the United States, and 35,000 people die as a result of them. Pretty shocking number to me. I reached out to Kevin Outerson, so he's kind of at the leading edge of this problem. He's the executive director of something called CarbX. It's a not-for-profit organization funded by three governments and several health foundations, and they're working around the world with scientists to try and find new drugs and bring them to market. Had a pretty interesting conversation about all of this that started with how important it is for all of us to be careful and how we use antibiotics. And not only that, it can actually start with what you do with that old bottle of antibiotics that you have just sitting in the medicine cabinet. Well, the bottle is pretty safe sitting in the chest, but it uh, depends what you do when you throw it out. Uh, you know, some people just flush it down the toilet and, and then it ends up in wastewater systems. That most wastewater systems aren't designed to eliminate the antibiotics. And so uh, people have found if they test waters and streams all over the world, that they find all sorts of antibiotic residue, um, not just from the, you know, people that dump pills in, in the sink or toilet, but also just from human use and, and it gets excreted through the body and ends up in the system. So uh, you should always only take the antibiotic that the doctor prescribed for you and for the precise amount of time that the doctor called it for. Uh, taking them when you don't have a bacterial infection, when it's, when it's a virus, boy, that not only is a waste of money, uh, it also could damage your body and also damage the environment. So, so as I go to the doctor and I know physicians sometimes feel pressure to prescribe. That's why I came, right? I, I feel like I need to leave the office with something. Uh, so if I'm pressing that doctor for an antibiotic, how am I contributing to the problem? You know, some doctors are rated by their health insurer on how they did with the customer interactions, kind of like a Yelp review for doctors, you know, and, um, some doctors find that if they try to talk the patient doing the right thing, you know, you probably really don't need an antibiotic because what you have is probably a virus. Some of them have found that they end up getting one-star Yelp reviews uh, by the patient from the health insurer, which then punishes them financially. So let's listen to our doctors. Let's not demand antibiotics unless 
the physician thinks it's necessary. And, uh, and please uh, reward doctors for spending the extra time to explain something to you um, and talking back and forth with you to hear your concerns instead of uh, just dinging them for not giving you what you thought you needed <laughs> when you came in the door. So the problem uh, there's a lot that I'm, each person can, can do. So if I'm, the problem is if I'm taking these antibiotics when I don't really need them, how is that, how is that chasing the problem further down the road? How is that making that, that, that microbe more resistant to the drug? You know, it's a numbers game. Uh, every time you use an antibiotic, every time we produce more into the environment, it increases the chance that there'll be a mutation and, and the bacteria will become resistant to that drug, which will make it harder for that drug to work in the future for you or your child or your grandchild or a person 10,000 miles away. It also damages you. Um, people don't understand this as well, you know, haven't embraced this, but the science is clear. Taking antibiotic into your body does all sorts of other changes to your body. It can clear out not just the bad bacteria you're trying to kill, but other bacteria in your stomach and in your gut. And uh, that can lead to other serious conditions and diseases. So um, it's good for the environment. It's good for the other people in your life. It's good for people around the world. It's also good for you. These are powerful drugs. Take them when you need them. Don't take them when you don't need them because we need to save them for the most appropriate circumstances. And I'll just add on to that, to the, uh, uh, the recommendation that you take your drugs all the way to completion of the course. Uh, even though you might be feeling better, it's important that you complete that full course of those antibiotics, right? Because that's going to knock the bacteria out as opposed to letting it live inside your body and become adjusted to those antibiotics. Yeah, I'll, I'll be a little more precise. Do what it is the physician tells you to do in this regard. Um, we found, though, over the past five years that uh, the original you know, recommendations, take this antibiotic for 14 days or something or five days, um, that those weren't really based on incredibly sound evidence. They, they were based on the early studies in the 1940s and 50s. Uh, as uh, we've looked at it more carefully and some very good studies have been run, uh, they're coming back with recommendations that for some antibiotics, the period can be shorter, and that's going to change the number of days that are prescribed. So the advice is uh, listen to what the doctor says and understand that, you know, it may be a shorter period of time or a different period of time than what you were used to um, as a child. Good input. So uh, these these bacteria and other other microbes are becoming resistant to the drugs that we have on hand. What kind of a problem are we seeing in hospitals and around the world with that? I mean, can you imagine if, if aspirin stopped being effective because too many people had used it to, to you know, prevent or cure a headache, right? And so penicillin, one of the most amazing drugs ever invented, doesn't work in many bacteria now because we've used it a lot. And so the result is that hospitals find that the drugs that they've used for many years, sometimes the inexpensive generics that have been great for decades, that they really know how to use and are very safe, that those are becoming less effective, which forces them to switch to newer, more expensive, uh, less well understood drugs. Um, if you're in a poorer part of the world, um, this could be life-threatening because that new drug may not be available yet. If in the United States, 
it's still life-threatening. You know, 35,000 people estimated by the CDC to die from this in the U.S. Uh, because it takes time to understand the diagnosis, which drug would be useful for the particular bacteria you have. And for a lot of patients in the U.S., um, you know, they've gone too far before the right drug is presented to them. So it's a problem here, and it's an even bigger problem around the world. And are we talking about any particular type of infection that uh, can become deadly because these bacteria are at least difficult to treat because these bacteria are now accustomed to the drugs, or is it just all multiple systems all through the body? The most serious ones are when it becomes a bloodstream infection uh, and related uh, when it becomes sepsis, when it, it's such a severe infection that your body's immune system reacts or even overreacts to the infection. But the original patient that was treated with, with penicillin uh, way back when in England, uh, he had injured himself. It was just a skin infection from a, a gardening, right? And that patient was made better by penicillin, but then they ran out of penicillin. They hadn't made much yet, and he died, right? So um, not that long ago, people could die from a gardening wound on the skin. Uh, as well as more serious things like serious urinary tract infections, bloodstream infections, and lung infections. So um, I'm afraid that it's all of the above. And it's mainly because, you know, bacteria, it's mainly because antibiotics have been working for most of our lives that uh, we're unfamiliar with you know, what our grandparents and great-grandparents had to live with. Yeah, and aren't we lucky that we are? Those antibiotic drugs are a miracle. That's Kevin Alderson, executive director of Carbex. That's a not-for-profit organization working to try to find development of new antibiotics. So if it's such a huge problem, why aren't there drug companies jumping in to fill the gaps? Oh, we're all at risk of these antibacterial-resistant uh, bugs out there in the world. Isn't that a big problem that could be solved and somebody making a lot of money? Well, we'll get into that on why that's not necessarily the case and explore the chances that a bacteria could cause, what, a, a zombie apocalypse? Is it really all that frightening? <laughs> we'll get into all of that as we continue on the Health Call Live Radio Hour on WOWA. Welcome back to Health Call Live, where health information is free and the stethoscope is never cold. We're here to answer your questions at 447-1190. Now, back to health and wellness correspondent, Lee Kelso. So this half hour, we're taking a look at a new study just published that shows bacteria that have adapted to our modern antibiotics are a far more serious threat to all of us than most people know. You may have heard of MRSA or C. diff, two infections that seem to just linger and take ever stronger drugs to get down to control. But what happens when you're just out of those ever stronger drugs? Nothing seems to work. Well, we're closer to that point than ever before. Fewer and fewer new antibiotics are being developed just when we need them the most. Kevin Alderson is head of a not-for-profit organization who's trying to fix that. It's called Carbax, and its job is to track down these promising new science developments and help them get from the lab right to your medicine chest. We scour the planet for great science, you know, great projects uh, that are maybe they just emerged from a university. Uh, they're still very early. They've never been near a human. They're just being tested right now in the petri dish. And we scour the planet and and look at everything. And then a very small percentage of those uh, we fund, we give money to. And we're trying to take these ideas, translate them from the 
just barely out of the university stage until the time in which we have solid data in people, in humans, um, and, and, and able to turn that drug over to somebody else to develop it for the, the large clinical trials that are necessary to get FDA approval. And uh, our goal is to find promising, radically new, amazing antibiotics and move them along so that, you know, our children and grandchildren will have options. What would you give me an idea of what uh, uh, condition you would hope to prevent with an antibacterial vaccine? Uh, there, there are a number of conditions for which if we had a vaccine, even for a really targeted population, it could be really effective. Uh, so think about people that are about to go into hospital for an elective surgery. You know, wouldn't it be great if, if there was a vaccine that you could take two weeks before your elective surgery that gave your body a super boost against all the sorts of bacteria that can be a problem when you have surgery? Uh, that would be excellent. Um, so that's the type of thing we're thinking about. There are many other examples as well. Yeah, that would be pretty fantastic, wouldn't it? Um, tell me about the role that uh, the microbiome, uh, the bacteria that lives inside us, plays. Uh, listeners to this program know that uh, it's something that I have a great interest in. We've covered it pretty intensely here. And, in fact, fecal matter transplants are proving to be one of the most effective ways to treat some forms of bacterial infections. What work are you doing there? Carbex supports several companies in, in the, this uh you know, live biotherapeutic or fecal you know, transplantation, all the groups that want to try to restore and enhance the human microbiome. As I said earlier, you know, the reason why people don't understand that taking antibiotics also harms you if you don't need it is that it, it messes up your microbiome and, uh, and it needs to be restored. There's also a lot of people who just exposure to, to antibiotics in the environment and previous exposures earlier in life their microbiome is is needing to be restored and repaired. And so uh, we have multiple companies in our portfolio who are doing exactly that. Uh, the first generation were these, you know, oral, uh, you know, you know, actual fecal material that would have been purified and put into a pill form. Uh, there's more uh, other groups now that are doing more sophisticated uh, you know, engineering specific types of strains, things that uh, that are cocktails of, of healthy bacteria um, that are not derived uh, directly from fecal material, but instead are have been designed uh, to optimize the human microbiome. And uh, we support many, and there's many others that are going forward. This is a radical, you know, new area of science that really barely existed, except in a, a few people's uh, dreams, ten or fifteen years ago. And I expect in the next decade, you know, you'll see the approval of, of a number of therapies and even prevention uh, in that space. You know, the, uh, the, the critics, the naysayers among us um, will look at this discussion of the potential superbug that kills pop, kills humanity um, as nothing but, you know, hype and, and, you know, dark news that everybody loves for, for the click value. Is, is that really a possibility? Is it likely that we will see something get out of control and cause a pretty broad disaster in our short lifetimes? So I think it's very different than viruses. You know, bacteria are, are larger organisms. I mean, they're actually alive as opposed to a virus. They have much larger genomes. Uh, they evolve and mutate more slowly. 
Um, so, you know, will we have a zombie apocalypse from drug-resistant bacteria that emerges instantly overnight, shuts down the planet? Um, no, probably not. But, uh, but think about the ways that bacteria have greatly impacted human history in the past. Um, it's grown more slowly, but it's had huge impact. Um, think of the Black Death, right? That's a bacteria. The plague is a bacteria. And while certainly we're not as worried about the plague today, um, if you've read your history, you know how it devastated, um, you know, Europe for one, but really most of the world um, to the extent that we have records. And, uh, and that's not the only one. You know, cholera was a, was a constant scourge uh, to humanity uh, until we understood where, where it was coming from. And John Snow removed the, the pump handle from the water pump in London and understood the connection between drinking contaminated water and getting cholera. So this is the sort of thing that I don't think a zombie apocalypse comes tomorrow, but as antibiotic resistance progresses, more people will die and things that you and I take for granted become more dangerous and less effective, like a hip replacement or cesarean section. Those are decisions that a doctor and a patient make. Let's replace your hip. Let's do a C-section. Um, if we didn't have antibiotics as the safety net, you probably would worry more about dying from an infection from those procedures. And uh, cancer treatment, it many times suppresses the immune system. The second leading cause of death today for people with cancer is infection. If we didn't have the right antibacterials and for cancer antifungals to deal with uh, these issues, cancer treatment becomes less effective, right? So this is more of a, of a slow drip, an important drip, but a slow drip rather than a dramatic overnight COVID, you know, takes over the world. So at least some good news out of all of that. You know, he made reference there to uh, the cholera outbreak and removing the pump handle. I just want to back up a little bit and kind of tell that story a little more fully. Back in the 1850s, there was an outbreak of cholera on Broad Street in London. And it took this guy, Dr. John Snow, to try to figure out where is all this coming from and a real breakthrough in science. Funny how these simple things happen. What they found was that there is this well that many people used was about three feet away from a cesspool. And this child who had developed cholera, they were washing in the diapers and putting that water into the cesspool. Well, the doctor realized that cesspool fluid could be leaking into the well and contaminating everybody else. He tried to get people to stop using the well. It wouldn't listen. So this Dr. Snow's solution was he removed the pump handle on the well, and that stopped the spread of that cholera outbreak. So fascinating how all of those simple little things come down in history. And that's how we learned that cholera and many other diseases are spread through elements that are excreted from the body, many of them bacteria, and can come back and kill us. Interesting. I just think that's fascinating. All right. On the other side, we're going to take a look at a fun little thing that you can try at home. Might give you an indication as to how likely you are to face a premature death. So get ready to put yourself to a test won't be too strenuous might teach a thing or two and then we're going to talk about how if you're over age 50 there's one thing you can do to help fight fat and don't we all want to do that we'll get into it next on the health co live radio hour here on whoa whoa 
podcast by Federated Media.